It's the Up North Lowdown from Interlochen Public Radio. I'm Ed Ronco, and this week, I think this will sound really fun. Sweet. Cool. Yay. We're trying something a little bit different. This week on the Lowdown. No, no, let me, okay. Got your headphones? Yeah, I can't, I can hear you in real life, but now I can hear you. <laughs> yeah. Ready? Yes. All right. Let's begin. Our environment reporter, Ellie Katz, had a busy week with a lot of stories to tell you, so we thought that it would be best to just bring her into the studio and have her co-host this episode with me. Hey, Ellie. Hello, Ed. So I said that you're here to tell us all about the busy week you've had, but we need to still play the theme song. So I'm going to let you do the honors. Why don't you kick us off? This week on the Up North Lowdown, a bumper year for apples and algae. Let's get into it. I'm Ellie Katz. There's an unusual, kind of gross algae appearing in lakes across Michigan. And the more researchers learn about it, the more questions they seem to have. I'll tell you a little bit more about that later, but right now, we're going to talk apples. Yes, we are. I hear, Ellie, that Michigan apple growers are having like this incredible season. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. For the second year in a row. So, Last year, they broke records. They harvested about 32 million bushels of apples. Um, And this year, estimates are supposed to be about the same. So it sounds like that would be really good news if you're in the apple business. But what you reported this week is that it's certainly good news, but not great news. Yeah, there's a little bit of a dark side here. (laughs) So the problem is kind of twofold from what I heard from farmers. One... There's still a ton of apples from last year, and because storage has gotten really good, um, at the beginning of this season in August, this farmer I spoke to still had apples that were harvested last season that were waiting to run through the line at the processors. So that was there. And then two, with so many apples coming off of the trees and into the processor this year, there's kind of a traffic jam. So it's been tough to get these big plastic bins back that farmers need to harvest the apples, to store the apples, to ship them. Uh, and that's been a little bit of a problem, too. So a bumper crop, but but too many apples. And, and to report on this, you talked to growers, and of course, you went out to a, an orchard. Yes, yeah. I went to Cherry Bay Orchards in Suns Bay, which is very beautiful. They do tons of cherries and apples. And I met Emma Grant, the orchard manager, at the Loading Bay, where there are all these huge plastic bins full of apples. Across the street, we walked into these rows of Honeycrisp trees, Mm. and it smelled amazing. (laughs) It smelled like walking through a Yankee candle. Um, (laughs) And she let me, she picked an apple for me, let me eat it off the tree, and um, it was so sweet, very crunchy. Insert crunch here. (laughs) And um, yeah, it it was pretty cool to check it out. (laughs) <laughs> so funny. That was a really good apple. Is it good? <laughs> yeah, I've never, I've never gone apple pip- picking. You should go apple picking. I know. Right off the tree. Mm-hmm. You can taste. This is gonna sound really stupid. <laughs> taste the farm freshness. You can. No, you can. It's crazy. <laughs> it's like you. It tastes. <laughs> it tastes like you just picked it off of a tree. I don't. It's different than in the grocery store. And, and she talked about just how many apples they've had come off the trees this year. Actually, we've come in overestimate on a few of our blocks. Yeah, slightly, either the same or slightly higher than last year. And at the beginning of the season, she thought there might be a possibility that processors would take more. Sometimes at the end of the season, processors realize they can take a few more. But in the last couple weeks, we know that there's some that are going to have to have to stay on the tree. And it's frustrating and it's sad, but that's just the way it goes sometimes. 
Is is this normal for apple trees to just produce like crazy year after year after year? No, it's not. I, I talked to Erin Lowers. She's an educator with the Horticulture Research Station in Leelanau County, and she told me she was surprised. Usually, if a tree bears a lot of fruit one year, then it tends to set less fruit the next year. So to have a big crop back-to-back is kind of strange. She said part of that might be because with bad weather this spring, it was tough to get out there and thin and prune the blossoms and the early apples. Um, But that was her best guess. Okay. This is sort of an aside, but I know the weather also has affected the coloring of apples. The Honeycrisp is sort of famous for having, you know, yellow and red together. It sounds like the coloring's a little off this year so far. Yeah. Emma Grant with Cherry Bay Orchards, she told me that all this warm weather we had in September, because there isn't a big enough difference in the temperature in the day and the night, it affects the coloring. Hmm. And so she was disappointed with how yellow the apples were. And that makes them a little less desirable to processors. So she's hoping that cooler weather this weekend, these next coming weeks, will get that beautiful red blush on the apples and hopefully help them do a little bit better with the processors. But just as delicious. Just as delicious. Yeah, they were great. So what happens with all these extra apples? It's not like when the trees produce a lot, everybody suddenly says, boy, I could really use some apples. Like demand is the same. Demand's the same. So Aaron and Emma both told me that, you know, Farmers can try to find other processors. Emma has been making a bunch of calls to try to find people to take apples that certain processors didn't want more of this year. Um, Farmers can pivot to selling more at roadside stands if they have them, to making more retail products to sell at the farm. Um, Aaron said we might see more donations this year uh, to food banks and things like that. And then obviously another option is just leaving them on the tree, which Emma Grant, uh, said that they might have to do a bit of. Yeah. Let's stay with Emma Grant for a minute because we heard her sort of lay out what's going on, what they're doing, but how does she feel about this season given all the stuff we've just heard? Yeah. I mean, she, she feels good. She told me, you know, a good apple season is still a good apple season (laughs) at the end of the day. And it's actually her first full apple season as orchard manager there. And she said the numbers are are still looking good. It's still going to be a good year. The processors will probably be a little bit more strict just because there is such a volume that they're going to try to take the best apples for fresh that they can, of course. And that's what we want to provide to the consumer too. But overall, despite not being able to sell some acreage, we're looking pretty good. And, you know, Cherry Bay is a pretty big producer with several different varieties growing. They do a huge cherry harvest, too. Um, So this glut of apples might be a little bit tougher on the smaller guys who rely heavily on selling processing apples. Huh. So that's apples. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But, But you're not done with us yet, IPR environment reporter Ellie Katz, because after a quick break, you have another good story for us. What's it about? Algae. Excellent. The Lowdown returns. In just a moment. This is my voice. It can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on the Black experience. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts. All right. Part two. Algae. Welcome back to the Up North Lowdown. I'm Ed Ronco. There's some ugly algae showing up in northern Michigan lakes lately, and we know what this stuff is. We also know it is not dangerous or harmful to people, but it is scummy and crusty and just kind of 
gross. And, and people want to know why it is here. So people are doing what people do. They're following their curiosity. They're researching, trying to find answers. But it seems like the more they look into this stuff in the lakes, the more questions they have. Let's go back to Ellie Katz, who takes us to Torch Lake, where she finds that certain pieces of this algae puzzle are still not fitting together. It's a sunny September day on Torch Lake. The water is calm and clear. Rick Dornboss and Greg Fredrickson are on their hands and knees, leaning over the side of a dock. Dornboss holds a pooper scooper, while Fredrickson waits at the ready with a Petri dish and a spatula. You're going to see it in action. Here we go. Dornboss carefully dips the pooper scooper into the water, not for dog droppings, but to scrape up the lake bed. There's definitely rocks below there. I can see things bouncing off. And then very carefully pull this up. Greg, you got a Petri dish ready? Dornboss pulls up a scoopful of crusty, chunky lake bed. Fredrickson uses the Petri dish like a cookie cutter to collect a perfect circle of sediment. They place the sample inside of a funnel, then use a squirt bottle to push some of the sample through the funnel's neck and into a baggie. And we're just gonna liquefy it a little bit. And that's our first sample of three. Those three samples are all of golden brown algae. It's part of an ongoing research project funded mostly by the Three Lakes Association and the Torch Lake Protection Alliance. And much of the data collection is done by volunteers who live on the lake. Volunteers who've watched its iconic sparkling blue waters become suddenly interrupted by patches of yellow, gray, and brown. Well, there's a grief process. <laughs> Just like other things. And then you come to accept it. I mean, this is, li- this is an ecosystem. This isn't a pool. That's Trish Narbold. She's a volunteer, too. She's on a paddleboard, I'm on a kayak, and we're out on the lake looking down into the water. She says this ugly, slimy nuisance algae is a wake-up call, making people more aware of the lake as an ecosystem and the role they play in it. We don't always understand what we can't see. Now we have something we can see. So now we're alerted and we need to take the right steps. I like solving puzzles. It's fun. That's Jan Stevenson, a retired professor of integrative biology at Michigan State University. He's talking to me on Zoom from his home near Harbor Springs. Stevenson's helped lead research on golden brown algae in northern Michigan. Whenever you see a change in environmental conditions, particularly things that you're concerned about, but any change gives you pause that there must be some human activity that's causing that. And then is this the canary in the coal mine? After almost nine years of research, we still don't know the answer to that question. But here's what we do know. Golden brown algae is a combination of cyanobacteria and diatoms, tiny little individual cells of algae that colonize. We know it's not toxic, we know where it grows, how it changes throughout the summer, and we know it's getting denser each year. But the thing researchers really want to figure out? What's changed in the water that's causing it to grow? We've generated a list of 10 or so hypotheses. Things like changing light conditions in the lake, or quagga and zebra mussels enriching sediments, or climate change warming the water. But with limited resources... We targeted one of those to begin with. It seemed like a pretty obvious problem associated with groundwater contamination. They thought that groundwater, which seeps in through the lake bed, might be bringing in extra phosphorus. It seemed obvious for a few reasons. One, we know a little extra phosphorus can cause explosive growth of algae and other aquatic plants in freshwater, 
We've seen that happen all over the Great Lakes region. Two, golden brown algae in Torch Lake grows in thick mats along the bottom, right where the groundwater seeps into the lake. But after years of research and poring over lake records, Stevenson and the Three Lakes Association team found something surprising. Phosphorus is decreasing and has been decreasing in the lakes of, of northern Michigan for maybe a couple decades. So then the question becomes, how could a decrease in phosphorus increase algal growth in the bottom of the lakes in northern Michigan? That's their current hypothesis. And it seems kind of implausible, right? It flips around what most of us know about nutrients in lakes. More phosphorus, more growth. But not necessarily here. Stevenson says he's seen it in his research before, in the Florida Everglades. There, phosphorus went up, and tightly woven mats of algae disappeared. Plus, Stevenson says some of the diatom species in those Florida mats are the same as the ones in the Torch Lake algae, including one of the most abundant species that shows up throughout the mats in Torch Lake when they're at their thickest in late summer. Its name is in Cyonema evergladianum. And it was named for being unique in the Everglades. Until he found it here, in northern Michigan. Stevenson says there are a few theories for why phosphorus is going down and algal growth is going up. It could be quagga and zebra mussels removing nutrients from the water. Or nitrogen from the atmosphere changing the growing conditions in the lake. Or all of those combined, or something else entirely. Researchers say we don't know enough to really form a full picture yet. So Stevenson and the Three Lakes Association volunteers are going to keep searching for what exactly is causing the algae across northern Michigan. And starting this year, the U.S. Geological Survey is joining in too. Their research will focus on what human and natural factors are changing the chemistry of the lakes. Between those two projects, the Three Lakes Association and Torch Lake Protection Alliance hope to get some answers. Back on the water, Trish says she wants those details, but also hopes something bigger comes out of all this research. I hope, hope for a greater understanding of the system and awareness by the people who live around it how to care for it and uh, protect it in that regards. IPR's Ellie Katz in a kayak balancing a microphone while reporting on Torch Lake. Okay, so those are our big environmental stories for the week, but some other stuff happened as well. So here we go. The Michigan Supreme Court opened its new session this week. One case could affect more than 200,000 current and former college students. Plaintiffs in this case argue that students who paid for in-person classes and campus life did not get what they paid for in the spring of 2020. You remember when COVID lockdowns caused many colleges and universities to go online and send people home from the dorms? Attorneys for three universities in Michigan argue that the students ultimately received the education they paid for. A group of advocates trying to keep a Petoskey hospice facility open got some good news this week. They met with executives from McLaren Northern Michigan, which owns and operates the Highland Cottage Hospice. And they say the execs told them there are no plans to close the inpatient facility. They'll meet again with the healthcare leaders later this month to talk about how they can support the hospice going forward. The concern initially arose after McLaren announced it was closing a different hospice in Sheboygan. Hundreds rallied in Lansing this week in support of changing parts of Michigan's 2019 auto no-fault insurance law. The insurance industry says as it stands right now, 
The law saves money for Michigan drivers, but advocates say the 2019 law took away health care for survivors of catastrophic car crashes and that some people died as a result. Lawmakers held a hearing with those wanting to change the law. The insurance industry will get its say at a future hearing. That's it for the Up North Lowdown this week. Thanks to Ellie Katz for all of that reporting that you just heard. We make this podcast at Interlochen Public Radio, and our music comes from Blue Dot Sessions. Our producer is Max Copeland. I'm Ed Ronco. And I'm Ellie Katz, popping back in to deliver this week's Sonic Sendoff. And then, if it's possible, could I get the sound of you, like, picking an apple off? Yeah. Okay. If that makes a sound. That was a good sound. That was a good sound. <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> is it possible to do one more? Yeah. Okay. That was so strong. Which is just another moment. A little more. In the apple orchard. Oh, there must be a good one in here somewhere. In Sutton's Bay. That was perfect. There we go. That was perfect. <laughs> we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. I keep tripping over apples. Oh, yeah. They're hidden in the grass.